This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're selling our bodies on the streets, then taking a doomed voyage on a boat again as we watch Spines number 49 and 50 in the Criterion Collection, Federico Fellini's Knights of Cabiria from 1957, and The Ship Sails On from 1983. But first, RJ, how was work today? Uh, interesting. It was pretty good, yeah. I guess. It's working in the ring, where the cattle are. Mm-hmm. Gotta be on your toes. At the Cow Palace? Boys. At the cow, yeah, Baylog Auction Cow Palace, Lethbridge, Alberta, mm-hmm. Creepsville, some would say. Yeah, so you got to be on your toes, Jerry, because uh, if a cow had a chance, he'd eat you and your entire family. So you got to watch out. Well, I'm glad I am doing my part in eating cows. <laughs> yeah, eating cows. Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty good. You always see some interesting sorts out there, like uh, all the buyers and like sellers sit around the ring and stuff like that in the pavilion. And uh, there was this one guy <clears throat> who had like a a bowl of soup and like not a big bowl, like a cup of soup, and he put ten packs of crackers in it it's not even soup anymore jerry no oh, man. it's not even soup anymore what was he doing being a piece of shit yeah people do weird shit with soup out there I, I don't know man one time i saw someone put ketchup in soup it was the craziest other than that time i saw that lady put hot uh honey and coffee that ketchup thing was the craziest shit craziest thing i've ever seen someone put one substance into another yeah, there's like uh, uh, someone I know. I think they actually put ketchup in their Lipton soup. Oh, and, that's horrible. And uh, yeah, that's just not not right at all. Not acceptable. Mm. Well, you give me their address and I'll go let them know what's up. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, just living that cow life, friend, mm-hmm. Kevin, partner. Living that, living that cow dream. That, that cow dream. Yeah, how about you? Uh, what's up? You still unemployed? Uh, yeah, well, uh... Or on your vacation, I suppose, is a word, way to put it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm still enjoying my free time, uh, which will be another week here, and then uh, start working part-time over at the comic book store next week, mm-hmm. getting back to my roots, uh, slinging those comics, which is always fun. Ooh. It's an honest living, you know, people walk in, they know what they want. <laughs> And uh, I Do get they? to help, and I get to help them fulfill their dreams of accumulating stuff that will just haunt them for the rest of their lives until a fire destroys it, they die, mm-hmm. and then that thing will be left behind them, kind of like uh, to you, to me. It'll wind up yeah, their uh, in-laws will wind up mm-hmm. with these boxes of shit filled with comic books that are supposedly collectible, and they'll come mm-hmm. sell them back to the comic book store, and we will buy them at a lower cost, and then we will start the cycle mm-hmm. all over again. It's quite the scheme you've uh, created here. But it's an honest scheme. I'm telling it right here, right now. Mm, it's, it's I a, don't know, it's, man. It's a long con, but... Uh, yeah, are you going to be around in 40 years when uh, these oh, distant relatives bring on in all the comics? No, I won't, I don't think, because... Uh, so, uh, I have a family reunion coming up in, like, three weeks, four weeks. Are, are you going to kill yourself before this family reunion? <laughs> no, so... Um, a uh, friend of the family, uh, he's got one of those like uh, genealogy account website things that he uses, and he's, been, and he's, he's been mapping out uh, my uh, mom's grand, my mom's Ew. father's side, and like tracing it all back to old Virginia. 
and uh, yeah, uh, all through some troubled times. I, I want to find out more, but like I started like going through it. Like uh, he was able to track back like 15 generations back to old uh, jolly old England to London, like Staffordshire or something like that. And, uh, but I kept like, was looking at the dates of like, when did they, when were they born? When did they die? And I was like noticing the theme of like, oh, like all these people, like a lot of people don't live past 50. There's a lot of people, but of course, like this is also like between like 1500 to like 1700. And I guess like being 50, 50 was like a ripe old age. You probably looked like you were 90 and, uh, your body felt like 80 today. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, 50. And I'm like, huh, that's, that's closer to, I'm closer to 50 now than I ever have been. So I'm like, oh boy, maybe I'll uh, continue that particular uh, lineage of dying young. You know, of dying young? Yeah. Well, if, uh, live fast, die young, leave a nice corpse, right? That's what all those rap stars say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who, which one of us out there isn't closer to 50 every day? You know what I mean? Exactly. Except, well, I guess the people who are past it. I'm pretty sure Oliver Granger's 82. I've seen his profile picture, so he might be really he he he's getting farther away each day. But he's a very old cartoon character. Yeah, he's like Jasper from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, fans. Fans. Listeners. Is anyone out there? Well, RJ. Yo. Uh, with you know time accelerating as we hurdle toward death. What have you been creeping mm-hmm. on to uh, stave off those fears? Staving off the fears? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just have a few creeps for you, I think. Okay. Follow up. I watched that Big Man Japan. Oh, yeah. I forgot I watched it. I just pulled it up. I was like, oh, yeah, I did watch that movie. <laughs> um, which isn't a, a mark on the movie. It's just mm-hmm. the days are getting longer and every day is an eternity now. So. No, they're, they're getting shorter, RJ. You're contradicting what we just said. Oh, oh, anyways, well, uh, my house is really hot. So the days like the nights are getting longer. So I'm just awake at night now. So mm-hmm. it's just like all, all of my time, my under 30 years are just molding, melding together. So yeah, anyways, I can't remember when we were talking about it, but you had recommended it to me on the show. Do you yeah. know when that was? Oh, I don't man. remember. I think I've brought it up a few different times, probably most recently when we were talking about when you watch Shin Godzilla um uh, maybe maybe that was it yeah I've brought it up a couple times though so yeah I guess uh just quick then big man Japan if anyone's unfamiliar it's like a mockumentary type deal mm-hmm. about a guy who just lives in this small town and uh it opens and it's him like kind of living his daily routine and you're like hmm I wonder what's up with this guy and then you see that everyone in the town just fucking hates him, yep. throws bricks through his windows, uh, graffitis his house. And you're just like, oh, he seems like a nice guy. I wonder why everyone hates him. And then you find out he is from a long lineage of uh, big men in Japan mm-hmm. who uh, one giant kaiju monsters come in. He uh, grows to hundreds of feet yeah. to fight said monsters. And it seems like everyone doesn't like him because they blame him for the either collateral damage or uh he kind of he's turned into a gimmick back in the old days the his grandpa was worshipped and honored but people just aren't really impressed with it anymore it's become a tv reality show and they just don't really care so he tries his best but everyone hates him Mm -hmm. and uh, can you describe what big man japan looks like oh it's the best he's in like a purple sumo suit and he's got a big belly 
with some tattoos and then uh, his hair is just standing straight up like a uh, I what it's so kid like of, of yeah kid, like, of kid and play, play. whatever yeah. whichever one but, is kid and whichever one's play yeah kid and play and kind of like that it's the like straight up hair. his yeah the tall hair yeah the kids will get that um <laughs> yeah it's like straight up but it's like because he has like really long stringy hair so when it stands up it, it kind of makes this like shiny it's got a gleam to it mm-hmm. it's super fun and uh, his weapon of choice is just a big stick or it's like a pole or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's really fun. And uh, so Big Man. Yeah. What? Oh, continue. Or, continue. Oh, I was gonna say I was gonna get to what I thought about the movie, unless there's any more. Uh, uh, and then I get he fights like fleshy kaiju monsters. Mm-hmm. Fleshy kaiju monsters that usually have like human characteristics. Yeah. Like if if only just in like a human face right uh and so that's what i was gonna say um so i like this movie i thought it was pretty good i thought it was uh the points or the parts of this movie that are good are really good and then there's some then there's other parts that kind of bog it down like it's almost two hours sometimes Mm. i felt i felt kind of it was dragging a little bit i was like oh man but uh i actually did enjoy it i thought it was really good the best part was uh i think the character designs. Uh, so like what you mentioned, like the fleshy stuff, like the monsters he fights are yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. They're, they're really so rad. cool. Like they're, yeah, they're really rad. They, um, like one of it, or it's like I said, like they almost all have like a human face, but like sometimes it doesn't work. Like one of the monsters is just a leg and yeah. it has a face <laughs> at the top where the knee would be. And it just like bounces around. <laughs> and then like the descriptions of the monsters are really funny. Like, it goes to a title card screen almost, and it's like, this monster has the stink of 10,000 feces. <laughs> and it's just like, it's really funny. Like, uh, his interactions with the monsters are really funny. Like, he'll walk up to one, and he'll be like, hey, go away. It's like, nobody, <laughs> well, like, he nobody want, wants he, Yeah, he doesn't want to fight. And, like, yeah, he's very yeah. reluctant in his role of, like, kind of being a fleshy Ultraman. Yeah, because everyone, uh, when he's not that, everyone gives him shit and is, like, super mean to him. So I would be, too. So, like, he sees a monster and it doesn't, like, fight him right away. So he mm-hmm. tries to reason with it. He's like, hey, go away. And it's like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> and it's, like, it's stuff like that, which I thought was really funny. Yep. Uh, you get his grandpa for a while. Uh, yes. And that, that's really good. And then uh, it has a really funny ending, which is, like kind of like unexpected but it's like a it's like a tv dramatization of like what happened but it's like played up really big with like uh other japanese superheroes that aren't actually real but they made them real for a tv show and he's kind of there in a suit and he doesn't really know how to act (laughs) and i thought that was really funny too yeah um no i i really liked big man japan i thought it was good i just i thought at times it dragged on a little bit to um yeah, not I, in the worst way. I was just like, eh, I could do without a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember being that long. Like all I really remember at this point, because it's been a few years since I watched it the one time. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I just remember like, yeah, I, there's like a lot of cool stuff in that. But my my uh, memory is probably forgetting about like the draggy parts. <laughs> yeah, there's a few draggy parts, like not too much either. Like it, it had held my attention. Those were times, Jared, that I went to the fridge for some snacks, oh. and, I, and I didn't feel bad because I was only gone for about twenty seconds. But I was like, yeah, I'm, I can leave for a yeah, little bit. That's fair. That's fine. Yeah. Those are good movies too. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Jer, uh, Jer. Uh, 
Um, what else did I watch? Uh, ooh, I watched the movie that I think you would like. Whoa. Actually, no, you wouldn't like it. Oh. Uh, I watched a recent movie, uh, a comedy action thriller called Central Intelligence, mm-hmm. starring your our best friend, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and my new best friend, Kevin Hart. Do you know what this? Do you know this movie? Uh yeah, I've seen. I've there was seen, a I've lot s- of previews. I've seen that trailer. Yeah, so uh, I'm just gonna mention it because I think that The Rock is super fucking good in this movie. He's so funny. He's so charismatic. You just like you smile whenever he's on, on the screen. And I mean, when do you not just smile whenever The Rock is on the screen? I remember one oh, time. There's Jeremy, been many times because you don't watch enough uh, wrestling. <laughs> Oh, well, when I did watch, that was during the Rock era, So, but well, I was a little kid. Well, there's like the, the latter days when he shows up, and you know, oh my God, this thing's going. This is going to go for a half hour of him just like being the Rock, which I don't know. I I don't get it. I, I, it's, it gets old. What do you it's mean? Like, you, don't, you don't get the appeal no, of the Rock? No, of him just standing in a ring for like 30 fucking minutes and just like doing his shtick it's like no it's not that good like i don't know it's not yeah if he's, but he's do- the biggest celebrity in the world if he's actually like have has like a purpose to be there sure but it's sometimes like he just shows mm-hmm. up and it's like oh it's the rock and i'm like yeah okay but then what else and, but that's it so sometimes that okay. stuff sucks he's like on in- via instagram in like short little bits and pieces he's fine but the actual like that mm-hmm. his re- that wrestling persona of his it doesn't really offer a whole lot. There was like uh, I can't, we're getting back to WrestleMania talk. So like two years ago or three years ago or something like that WrestleMania thirty one. There's like you know mm-hmm. the sh- the show is going goddamn long, and uh, The Rock shows up so he can like use like a blowtorch on a giant like sign that just says like the <laughs> that says the rock or something and he just uses and he's lights it up and but just just had to go for 30 minutes and it's like oh Oh. that this is not needed at all like if it was like three minutes cool but no it just kept going because the rock has to like walk all across the stage corner to corner to get people cheering at him and then he just walks up and down he starts doing the the rock has returned to blah 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 and he but Mm. it takes forever to do Oh. Well, I think, anyway, I think you're so just we're, super we're ungrateful. About, no, so we're talking about central intelligence. <laughs> okay. All I was going to say, I'm not actually going to describe this movie that much. I just think The Rock is really fucking good in it. He's really funny. And uh, I think everyone should watch it for that. Because it's actually not that bad. Like, it, it falls into all the all the things like steps you think it would fall into for like a spy thriller. It's like, it's like, did he go rogue? Oh no, he's a double agent. Who is this guy? Is he bad? It's like there, it's not going to surprise you anywhere. Mm. It's all very predictable, but I'm just, I'm telling you, man, the scenes with the rock, they're super good. I do. The other thing I'll talk about, um, I feel really bad for Aaron Paul from breaking bad uh-huh. because I feel like he can't do anything anymore. And it's <laughs> because it's because Breaking Bad was so big that like he's in like so he's in this for like 2 minutes yeah. and because he's in it like they try to set up a surprise but it's like well no of course. So like you you think Aaron Paul's dead but like obviously he's not cuz you see him in a flashback where he dies and you'd be like well they wouldn't just get Aaron Paul for a fucking 10 second flashback. Which I guess maybe they knew that and it's intentional. But then, I don't know, man. I feel bad for him. I feel like he can't really catch a break. Like he's, He just gets cast in these movies as like these small parts that are like, I don't know. 
they're not good, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he, like that could have been anybody. It could have been fucking uh, what's your buddy Lex Luger. He could have been in there as Aaron Paul, <laughs> crippled in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. It could have been anybody. It didn't have to be Aaron Paul. So okay. <laughs> feel bad for him, man. Hmm. I feel bad for him. Uh, uh, I'm sure he's okay. Oh. I had some feedback there on my mic. Did you catch that? Aaron, yeah, Aaron Paul's probably is listening and very upset. Okay. Well, what else did we watch? Oh, I wanted to give you a uh, update. Andrea is officially out of American Gods. She tapped out <laughs> last night during episode two. Oh. Uh, and episode two was a lot more straightforward, like I thought, but yep. it still had a lot of like cutaway stuff to... Um... So in that book... Did I? I don't know if I mentioned it, but like every now and then, the he'll do a chapter where it's just like a folklore story of like a different legend or a god or something, okay. which is is like totally unrelated to the actual story. Mm-hmm. He just like he did so much research on this stuff that he wanted to include include it. So like the show kind of cuts away to stuff like that, and I, I think it can be really jarring in a sense because it's like what it's like what is this related to anything else? Like what does this even mean? Right. Um. But uh, so it didn't it didn't start good be uh, or it didn't start well for Andrea because uh, it started out with um, Orlando Jones made his big entry. He is an African god, Mr. Anansi. He's a spider. And mm-hmm. his entrance or his in the book, they introduce him in a really cool way. He's like kind of this fat guy in like a yellow suit doing karaoke. And like he looks kind of like weird, but he's got all these ladies after him. And you're like, yeah, cool. You're a cool dude. And then in this, uh, uh, it's a slave ship filled with slaves being transported from Africa over. And then Orlando Jones comes down in like modern day suit. And then the guy's like, save us, Anansi. And he's like, let me tell you, man. He's like, the next hundred years, you're going to get fucked. And the next hundred years after that, you're going to get fucked too. And so, like, they try to do this, like, topical political rant because he, like, makes mentions of, like, how police are going to shoot you down in the streets, Uh, even though this is, like, 500 years before any of that would happen. And, like, I get it. It's like, yeah, I know things are tense down in the old USA and they're like trying to say something but i feel like it really compromises like the actual story because like these gods they're not like omniscient or like omnipotent they don't know everything because if they did there would be no show because of the way it actually plays out with like how these gods interact and stuff like mm. like they don't just know everything like basically what happened was orlando jones is like i can see 800 years in the future like this is what's happening he's like you're going to be shot down by cops in the street and it's like, like, it's a good monologue and stuff. It's just, it doesn't fit at all in, on this slave boat. Right. So that's how it started. And Andrew's like, I hate this. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it showed like a bunch of cut scenes of like other stuff. And she's like, I hate this. And then she left. And you know what? She left before fucking Peter Stormare came out. And he was the coolest thing in the, in the whole show so far. Big Peter Stormare. You know that old rush? guy yeah he's the best i love him you love him but i love him. well they're looking but next then time. i watched one other movie i watched one last creep jared what? and it was a creep i watched with you oh yes that's right i'm bringing it up <laughs> well because i was gonna bring it up 
Well, I'm bringing it up now. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to introduce it for once. There's going to be a little side shuffle on your uh, your old game. So uh, to the people out there, last week, since Jarrett was unemployed and I had a day off from the, the cows, we uh, decided to have uh, a communion day. And if you're not, I mean, there's no reason why anyone would know what that means. Uh, for the longest time, I've wanted to watch Communion, which is like the 1980s film with uh, Christopher Walken. And if you're not aware, this movie is about aliens, baby. That's right. So in this movie, which was direct or written by a guy named like Whitley Schreiber, Whitley something. Yep. Uh, he wrote a book. He claims he was abducted by aliens. Well, he wrote, he, he, wrote two, uh, he wrote two other books, which yeah. he kind of made his, uh, cut his name on it, which was The Hunger and mm-hmm. uh, Wolfen. Wolf, 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 yeah. yeah. So they were both two popular fiction books. Uh yeah. But, but then you, communion you, you, is about him. Yeah, it's it's like autobiographical. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so he had two popular books, and then he wrote an autobiographical book about how he would, him and his family have been, well, he's been abducted, and his family has had contact with extraterrestrials, and how it really just fucked up his life. So this is a movie that we've been talking about a lot, because it's infamous in uh, some certain scenes with the old Chrissy Walken and the aliens, the puppetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've wanted to watch for a long time and you came over and we watched that motherfucker and I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I watch a lot of these alien movies, so, uh, I think the bar for me is pretty low and I, <laughs> by, by no means, uh, I don't think it's a good movie. Like it's, it's not great. Oh, it's but, a bad, uh, it's, it a, has, it's, it's bad. It's, it's a bad, yeah. it's a, definitely a, on the bad side. It has a few nice things though. I mean like some of the alien stuff is pretty good. There's a noodle alien, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, uh, yeah, and then Christopher Walken wears eyeliner, so uh, that's yeah. communion for some scenes. Um, for some scenes, yeah. So, so I, I thought it was fine. Yeah, so but, communion was a movie that I first heard about years ago when um, Rue Morgue magazine had their like top two hundred alternative horror films list, and uh, uh, I was like, oh, cool. And I had like uh, I downloaded a bunch of movies off that list and. This was like so five years ago, and I started watching this one, and it was just like, no, I don't like this. Like, this is like not what I want at all from like a horror movie. And so I stopped watching it, and it's yeah. kind of been on the back burner as something I should go back and watch for a number of years. You like those aliens, and you're like, we, we're going to watch it one of these days. And first week of unemployment, here I come. And so uh, you went down to the old uh, Spudnut shop and bought us a dozen donuts. Uh, which, 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 just was, by the way, we ate all of those donuts in that day. Yeah, so. I, I was going to get to that. Yeah, we ate, mm-hmm. uh, we split that box and ate those bad boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's some Arby's in between there as well. Let's not... Uh, that's not You're really painting a picture here about <laughs> what fat pieces of shit we are. <laughs> And so, uh, communion, um, yeah, Christopher Walken, it's like him at his like ham bonish, like he's just like off the wall and his wackiness, uh, like just doing mm-hmm. like, which is hilarious. Like, it's very funny how much like weird things he, he's allowed to do. Cause the director, uh, just isn't keeping him in check. So he just keeps mm-hmm. like pushing those boundaries. I don't think he had a lot of like care about the material. Um, yeah. 
because like I guess like this this Whitley Shelby dude, he's an eccentric, he's a wacko, and so mm-hmm. he does ridiculous things working on his computer. Like a way a writer, like a kind of like a cartoonish way that a writer would work. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's aliens that are just like thrown in for good measure that look weird and fake. There's a dance scene with Christopher Walken dancing with these aliens. There's lots of boring, boring scenes of characters talking about what they've seen. And then there's like scenes after that where they talk about the conversations they just had. And, uh, it's atmosphere, Jared. You no, know, it's, it's, they're not, the movie's not well made enough to have atmosphere. It's, it's very, mm-hmm. like, it's very poorly made. Um, it's way too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's like two so hours. Like two hours. Yeah. It's almost two hours. And, uh, yeah, it just, Man, uh, there's like alien scenes are sprinkled out, and they don't make the movie never comes together. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's it's bad. Um, I'm glad I finally got it out of the way. I suppose uh, in no ways. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you could describe this at all as a horror movie. Um, if you if you want <laughs> your like scares and forms of like alien abduction, uh, Fire in the Sky is your uh, one stop yeah. shop. I think you just watch that because that scene is really well done and it plays mm-hmm. out like kind of like a regular movie, not this kind of like odd mishmash of characters going under hypnosis and talking about things. They're all scenes that you saw earlier in the movie, just like slightly mm-hmm. expanded. Um, yeah, the, his all the kid, his like his son that's in this. That kid sucks. Uh, his wife sucks. Uh, yeah, not 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 a good yeah. not, not a good movie. <laughs> I was what well, I'll just stress. Yeah. Well, uh, you and me, we don't always share the same opinion, mm-hmm. uh, as people will probably f- hear tonight. So, I mean, I don't think it's a good movie either. But I watch enough of this alien junk. It's a, it's a lot better than some of the other alien movies I've seen. That's saying something, mm-hmm. brother. Brother. So. What what alien movie are we gonna watch uh, this other this next week? Ah. If anyone out there wants us to watch a movie, go to my aliens list and find one on there. We'll watch that fucker. Mm-hmm. You have till uh, like noon tomorrow. When yeah, you, you have you'll, less than you'll, you'll be listening to that episode probably after we've already watched something. Yeah, so, yeah. well, I mean, our real fans will be on top of the game. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, RJ, I watched some movies. Um, that you I'll did? I did, and I'll run through them. I watched mm-hmm. the Ghost in the Shell anime oh. from 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, I somehow have never seen this at all ever, um, which is weird. Like every time I mention this to people, people go, "What? You have never seen Ghost in the mm-hmm. Shell?" Um, and I don't know what reason <laughs> I wouldn't have seen it. I've watched like a lot of the other like kind of like standby '90s animes that you'd find at a blockbuster. Your like Ninja mm-hmm. Scrolls, your Akira's. Uh, I've seen all that stuff, but this had just like never really been on my radar. Uh, something about the story just never really like seemed that interesting. I remember watching or yeah. um, re- reading the manga, or at least trying to read the manga, like a dozen times, and always like finding it really boring and like uninteresting, uh, too dense. Mm-hmm. That that uh shiro stuff i don't know it's not for me i tried reading that book again recently and was like yeah i don't like this well i'll try watching this cartoon and see if it's any better and rj i've got to tell you i just don't like this story i don't like anything about ghost in the shell uh Mm -hmm. so that live action movie it's not for me i will probably never ever ever watch that um because there's just something about the story that uh i don't know It, it could be told better 
uh, at least yeah. for, for me. Uh, I know some people who like think Ghost in the Shell is the bee's knees. A lot of people mm-hmm. really love Ghost in the Shell, but I don't know. It just like I I zone out whenever anything's going on. It is just like again, kind of like communion. Character just scenes of characters talking, and it's not like engaging dialogue. It's mm-hmm. not interesting dialogue. The characters aren't like I don't know. You're not interested enough in anybody to care what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just kind of lousy. Um. Speaking of, yeah, speaking I feel of, you, dog. yeah, speaking of, have you ever seen Ghost in the Shell? No, no, I haven't. Oh. Uh, I tried watching it a couple times, but the subtitles never worked, so I just uh, said, fuck it, and I'm never gonna watch it ever. There, done and done. Um, uh-huh. I watched uh, with the boys, uh, this also from 1995, this uh, Hong Kong number called Fox Hunter, which got uh, dropped, I think, on the one bonus episode of Shockwaves that uh, that Ryan Turk guy did with a guy who runs like this uh, Asian cinema. Um, mm-hmm. film festival thing and he name dropped a couple of uh, Hong Kong movies to check out and this was one of them this movie had like 14 views on Letterboxd and I was like oh wow that sounds like a challenge to track down uh, mm-hmm. the version on YouTube has only uh, like Cantonese language with no English subtitles so that wasn't going to work Neat. so I did find a copy uh, very low res uh, that has, so the film, I guess, is like original audio track is Cantonese, but on top of that audio track, there was like a, I don't know if it was like Mandarin or maybe like Vietnamese audio track over top of that. So you'd be watching this movie mm-hmm. and there's like two vying, like Asian sounding audio tracks talking at the same time. So you have like the actor talking, but it's like someone else is talking over that. Um, mm-hmm. for, fortunately, I guess I don't understand either language. So it just was like odd and it just sounded like sometimes and then uh the subtitle tracks were laid out with like again asian characters on top but english subtitles underneath that so Hmm. if you just like paid attention to the text that was coming up and calling this english was like "Mm," it's more in the angrish realm uh, which is always kind of amusing in itself but uh so as far as far as the the viewing experience wasn't ideal but the film, uh, it's like a B-movie actioner, just like about a story about a female cop in Hong Kong who's kind of used to play a prostitute to get closer to this, like, ultimate, like, criminal that is just, like, unbelievably dangerous. Every time anyone tries to arrest him, he winds up killing 18 cops and, like, injuring 30 people. He's oh, just, shit. He's extre- yeah, so he's crazy. And she actually manages to get him caught. And of course, he breaks out immediately, shows up at her mm-hmm. house, kills her uncle and rapes her, and escapes back to Vietnam, or uh, I guess mainland China. He's like a Vietnamese-Chinese guy. Uh, and so now she wants revenge. And so the movie is like her and the pimp that she kind of infiltrated uh, when she was undercover. They go to mm-hmm. mainland China to track this guy down. And so the movie is just like a whole bunch of setups for action scenes. Uh, the action scenes are like really well done from what I could tell from this, like not so great copy. Uh, Mm -hmm. the movie's got like a really great, like sense of like lighting. Uh, it seemed like back in the nineties, uh, blue lighting was very popular from things like James Cameron movies, Catherine Bigelow, um, Michael Mann, I guess there's a couple other directors we were thinking of. I think like Ridley Scott, they like Tony Scott. They love blue. Um, and so, yeah, like the, all the action stuff, it's like, it's like really well done. Uh, it's kind of like, I wish movie, like action movies resembled this. Um, Lawrence described this film as like uh, watching like a movie in the 90s on TV late at night on Bravo or Showcase. 
Uh, yeah. Where it's just like this like weird like foreign movie, and it's just like a, kind of like a, has a totally different feel to it. Uh, it's completely like story wise, it's like who cares? But it's like very well done um, mm-hmm. and just entertaining. Not what a novel idea. So mm-hmm. Fox Hunter was pretty good. I I uh, hesitate giving it too strong of like a recommendation just because there's no way of watching this movie, and there's like no really good like source to watch it. Cause it's like not available. Like it seems like this movie came out and it was kind of like dumped to the wayside of time. Right. So maybe one day, uh, when like Hong Kong movies get a fairer shake in North America, uh, I'll be able to watch it again, uh, in proper mm-hmm. English, uh, subtitles and all that jazz. So that was cool. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I also, uh, watched that love, Witch movie, Oh, I don't even know. I didn't even see what your uh, your take on this was. You're, this is fresh. <laughs> yeah. It's coming in hot. So, RJ, are you familiar with The Love Witch that came out last year? I've heard a few things. Yes. Few. I don't know what it's about. I've just I've seen it on lists. So, it's a movie. Uh, I guess, like, you'd say its plot is its production value. Uh, so, this sure. is a movie that they made... Uh, it's about a witch who makes love potions and whatnot. She seeks love from men, but in that pursuit, she winds up destroying these men because they can't handle her like potions and magics that she's casting. Um, the movie looks like it was made in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, which is all intentional. Like the, all the production value, it's set in that time. The hair, the makeup, the dress... Uh, it's all supposed to resemble a movie like a Roger Corman movie from the 60s. Mm. Uh, the lighting and stuff like that is all there. Like, every detail is made to like resemble that. Uh, however, my number one problem with this movie, right from the get-go, like the first two minutes of this, is that the the way that it's edited and the way that it was shot just didn't look right. Like it's one thing to shoot your mm-hmm. like actress driving a car and it's obviously rear projection. It's like, yeah, you could should. That's what it would look like in the movie like that, but it doesn't look right. The scenes are too quick. And there's this like voiceover narration explaining this like whole history of like her moving town to town. And this stuff always like bad things always wind up happening. There's like shots of like, kind of like what like satanic cults would have looked like in sixties movies. And so you get like mm-hmm. little glimmers of that. And I don't know. I I actually RJ, I hate this movie. I think this movie wow. actually fucking sucks. <laughs> um it yeah. just it kept getting worse because the the acting was atrocious. Um the lead actress yeah. in this movie, I can't remember her name, but I think this is like one of the first few things that she's been in. Uh I guess like people probably are really into this cuz she's really attractive. Um <gasps> but she's like I don't know, she's supposed to be doing this like English accent and it's like it's like this false accent thing it's such I don't know it's so it's really bad the dialogue in this movie is just awful um I everything everything about this movie just kept kicking me out of it and like I don't know Mm -hmm. when you're dialogue and acting and like trying to make your movie look like it's from the 60s but the editing is completely (laughs) contemporary it just ruins it for me. Um, and then I, ugh, this movie's like two hours long, and Oof. I just I gave up. Uh, this you movie, didn't finish it? No, I, this movie sucks. I uh, okay, it, which is great. Like it's like I'm like uh, definitely a minority on this one. Kind of like Ghost in the Shell, I guess. Uh, people really yeah. like this movie a lot. I've seen a lot of people like love, love, love it. Say it's like one of their favorite movies from last year. 
mm-hmm. uh, across the board, like people who have differing tastes in movies, they all seem to like this witch. I do not like this witch. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, this is like definitely one of the worst movies I've seen. Like, and just like, not in like, I don't know, in, just like how much it bugged me. Uh, yeah. And like, I would, I, I would go out of my way to say, yeah, I, I don't like that movie one bit. Uh, people shouldn't watch it. But there you go. Well, shit. Yeah. Sucks, shit, man. Su- sucks to that movie. Um, yeah. And then, RJ, I followed that up with mm-hmm. another uh, movie that is also mm-hmm. spoilers about witches. <laughs> and I watched The Autopsy oh. of Jane Doe. I saw that you watched this movie. Yeah. And I know. I don't know if we actually talked about it on this show, but you watched this movie like a mm-hmm. few months ago and you were not mm-hmm. a fan of this movie. I was and, not. And we I, did talk about and, and, it on and, the show. Okay. And I, I remember uh, I remember being finding that really surprising because this movie at that point had been getting a lot of like positive response. People seemed to really like this movie, other than they didn't like the ending. That's all I kind of remembered about this. But then mm-hmm. I remember you not liking this movie at all. You're like very negative on it. And I was mm-hmm. like, really? So I went into this pretty like, I don't know, open-minded. Uh, I didn't sure. know what to expect. And hey, I actually like this movie. Um, I didn't like think this was like a great revelation of like horror movies in 2016 when it came out or this year but i thought it was a very solid competent well-told um low-budget horror movie that's all set in like kind of one location with uh good old brian cox um and i don't know Mm -hmm. i i just you know uh i kind of like know exactly what scene probably made you mad and then probably took you out of the movie for the rest of it (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, involving well, perhaps Stanley the cat. <laughs> yes, that was part of it. That, that, but we, so we did talk about this on the show. You just don't listen whenever I'm talking. <laughs> um, I pulled up my old my review because, uh, so yeah, I had heard lots of good things about this movie as mm-hmm. well. So I guess this is my love witch, which isn't to say like I didn't hate this movie. I don't think it's like super bad. I just didn't think it was very good, mm-hmm. uh, and. And it wasn't because of the ending, which seems to be what everyone also says. Because I, mean, I don't see, think the ending even, was... There's even people who like this movie a lot that don't like yeah. the ending. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. that seems to be the big, like, uh, the big target that, that everyone always says. is just like, well, the ending sucks. Well, whatever. I, that doesn't bother me. Like, uh, I think the problem I had with it was I thought they did, like, a lot of stuff that was just like, why would you do that? Like, um... I don't know. You do you have more to say about this movie? Um, because I was I was gonna read my old review here to get it in my mind again. Right. It wasn't well, the I, ending. I, like... I, I read your review after I watched it again because okay. I, I I didn't realize I forgot that you had wrote quite a bit and we talked about it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm gleaming it now. Like, yeah, I didn't like the cat thing because it was just like, why would you introduce this cat just to kill it? That's dumb. And then like, there's some jump scares that I thought were stupid too. Like all horror, new horror movies have jump scares. That's just something you have to deal with. Yeah. But I thought it was, I thought it was dumb where it's like, it's like you get a gleam of a hallway and then something walks by the hallway and you're like, all right. Um, I just thought like a lot of like what actually happens just doesn't make sense. Apparently, I didn't think that it made sense that the girlfriend got back into the basement. Mm-hmm. That's what was in my review. I don't quite remember how that happened. But uh, well, and then apparently I also really hated a scene in the smoke because it says I say I love not being able to see anything. It's great. <laughs> so uh, apparently what there was a that scene in the smoke. I remember it lasting a while. But uh, when I had watched this. 
I re- was really not into it. Yeah, no, that all those things I read those things. I was like, oh man, like I don't know. It seemed like th- those are all like very like minor things that like. Oh yes, if something didn't take you out of it, which I, I know it seen that was. I think that point you would have turned on it, and then things would have started bothering mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah, but like I don't know. I thought like the like yeah. the movie is like well made. Like I liked it. Yeah, um, it's got a troll hunter guy. Yeah, troll hunter guy, and. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, no. So I mean, like, it's, this movie's not as good as Troll Hunter or anything like that. But I think, no, like, that movie's amazing. Yeah, that like that movie, like, uh, yeah, that movie's really good. And this movie's just like mm-hmm. I think for like a, I don't know, indie horror movie, it's like way better than it. Uh, usually these movies go. Usually those these movies are kind of terrible. But I thought like mm-hmm. I don't know th- my problems with it that are like CGI fire appear. Right. Um, those are always moments are dumb. Mm-hmm. But I, I yeah. But I'm trying to Sorry. think of anything else. Yeah, and like, I don't know. I didn't have. I guess like my bigger problem is so scene with Stanley the cat. Um, yeah. There's like something happens to Stanley the cat in a vent, and yep. it basically he's hurt horribly. We don't we don't know how it happened mm-hmm. or what did it or anything, but this causes Brian Cox, the coroner, the performing this autopsy on the Jane Doe, to have mm-hmm. to kill their cat, the cat that belonged to his wife. And uh, his wife's dead, and this was like the last thing that he had a connection to was this cat and his own son, who mm-hmm. works with him as a coroner in the office. And mm-hmm. uh, he gets he has to break the cat's neck. Okay, so that then they, then they cremate the cat, mm-hmm. but then like uh, there's never a point where they go, huh? What the fuck just killed the cat? <laughs> like, but there's like no like any explanation at yeah, all. Like, yeah. there, there's like yeah. no like hey. There's like something that gets killed the cat in the vent and there's like never, they never go back to it. Cause there's like, at that point there's nothing mm-hmm. that could have done that. Like there's no monsters. There's no anything that would have done it. It's so weird. Um, it just happens like, and that's that. Right. And that's it. Yeah. That, that's so, so like, yeah, that's like the weirdest, like that to me is like the biggest, like what the fuck? Like what was the purpose of mm-hmm. that? And that was it. Cause like there's nothing goes back to it. It's not like you see like, evil cat come back when things mm-hmm. start going crazy it's just like yep dead cat and that's that yeah it's it's all come back to me now jared mm-hmm. so it, it, it's exactly that kind of leap in logic where it's just like but i feel like even, it's kind of but there's not even a leap there's just no no yeah there's, there's they, nothing it's they just, just don't yeah, yeah. There, there's just like there's no explanation for it and that's kind of like that was one of the bigger problems i had with it because like what you said yeah it's a it's a well-made movie there's just certain things that it was like and i know they're nitpicky things but it really it just pulled me out of it i was like so what was the point of that and then the thing with the girlfriend it's like well why did how did she even get fucking back in here well and then at the end in the the, the, the spoiler i I won't say it but it's like the thing that's doing this at the end it kind of does like this mastercard move it's like why wouldn't you just do that to begin with like if you're whole plan was just to kill these people just kill them like what's all the pageantry to it like do you you know what i mean like and i know that's way overlooking things it's like well if that's your logic then like nothing should exist it's like why should anything be there right but i don't know it just it kind of pulled me out of it and so the real reason i didn't like this movie i think more than anything was disappointment because of how much I watched it when like the hype was at the highest because it was at all those film festivals. Everyone was like gushing over it. The hype was high. And so I went into it and then I just, I was really disappointed because I think what I would have loved is if the whole movie was the autopsy with them finding all that 
weird shit in the body mm. that I was like, yeah, I was really into that. I just wish yeah. they didn't pull away from it so much because they kept pulling away. It was like, oh, there's a noise in the hallway. Oh, there's a noise in the vent. They kept pulling away from it. I was like, just stay there. Just that's where the story is. I guess there's like, I don't know. It's weird because like in, I mean, they're, they're, I think these things are kind of addressed. Like the thing with the girlfriend getting back into the building. It's like, well, she said she was going to come back. But there's also this aspect of like, we don't know the range of the powers of the things that they're dealing with. And there's like things where like, oh, they're trying to distract the the people from getting back to doing the autopsy. Right. Um, but it's like, well, why? Like, it's like, why? why? It's like, what's, what's the purpose of that? And like that, again, there's no movie if you go back to that. But this is like, this is something that you could go to like a movie like Don't Breathe. It's not about, yeah. it's not about making sense of it. It's about the going on the carnival ride and like yeah, kind of go, yeah, and going, I, and going along with this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's just like sort of a conceit of like pretty well, like all horror movies. It's just kind of like, yeah, the stories generally don't make sense. But it's like, I don't know. It's only as like, it, it's a well-designed ride. Who cares? Um, right, right, that, right. Yeah, it's so, I don't know. Like, those things, like, I will, yeah, the cat thing definitely is, like, the weird thing. Other than it's, like, did the did this power kill the cat to, like, bum them out so much that they don't want to continue doing the autopsy? I guess. But it's, it's like, but, but there's no, like, well, how, how did that happen? Because, like, they never demonstrate this sort of power ever again in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like for me, like I think this movie is like so much better. Like I kept thinking of, um, the void and like, I'm like, man, this movie, oh, so, yeah, yeah. this movie so blows away like the void, like in every way for me. Um, that that's true. I'll give you that actually. Yeah. That, uh, that is very true. It is way better than the void. Yeah. And, th- and that's yeah. like, yeah. And it's kind of interesting. Cause like, it seems like a lot of people really, I don't know. There's, there's definitely people who are sp- like more split on. Actually, you know what? Oh, fuck. Every horror movie people are split on. It doesn't even matter. Right. Um, so that's my piece on Autopsy of Jane Doe. I, I thought it was good. Um, I, I, I guess I went in with like no expectations, uh, but I enjoyed it for its craft. It kind of reminded me of like Mike, Mike Flanagan movies to, to, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, then I also on the Blu-ray of this, I also watched uh, Director of Troll Hunters short film. Tunnel. Yeah. Uh, and Tunnel. Oh, cool. Tunnel is like a 12 minute short film that he made. And it's mm-hmm. really good. Uh, I'm not sure if it's online on Vimeo or whatever, but it's... I would I would totally uh, recommend people check yeah. it out. Uh, it's based on a short story from like 1961 by an author, Alison Glazer, called Into the Tunnel. Uh, and it's like totally yep. up my alley of like short story mm-hmm. stuff um, and about social. Like, this is like, I mean, this is a good way of doing like social commentary. Um, and it just works really well in that like kind of twilight zone sort of way. Unlike what it sounds like with American gods where it's so goddamn ham fisted and like people leave, leave shows and never come back. That that's sounds like the worst type of crap. This is like actually like, Hey, let's actually do a metaphor for it or figure something Mm -hmm. out and do a story. So yeah, tunnel is really good. Uh, better than autopsy of Jane Doe because it's only 12 minutes long and, uh, it's a, it's a well executed, uh, version of the story. And it's like, I'm surprised the story hasn't been Mm -hmm. done more. Just because um, uh, it's got some legs, I think it's good. It's good tension. Very mm-hmm. uh, good music. Uh, yeah. yeah, Ace. I've I've heard about it. I've looked for it online. I couldn't find it because uh, I, I'm a big fan of this troll hunter guy, and uh, I saw that and I wanted to watch it before, but yeah, I couldn't find it. So maybe you give me that autopsy movie, and I'll watch this tunnel. Sounds good. Well, uh, any news you want to share with us this week? I got some news for you, big big dog. Uh oh. Michael Parks died. He did die today. Did you hear that? I knew he was in really rough shape. 
because uh, uh, your your personal friend Kevin Smith, uh, him and Michael Parks were really good friends, and uh, he had mentioned something like, I think it was like two years ago when they were filming Yoga Hosers that uh, Michael Parks was supposed to be in it, but uh, he was really sick. Hmm. So uh, Michael Parks, man, legendary uh, quote unquote character actor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that sucks, hey? We weren't even gunning for him. We never even talked about him on this show. Damn. Can't take credit uh, for that one. We can't take credit for that one, but that kind of sucks. Yeah. So, uh, no strong opinions, eh? Yeah, uh, well, after I read that, I went online and looked up to see if there was that scene from, uh, Death Proof with him Mm -hmm. in his, in Sun Number 2, uh, or Sun Number 1, whatever it is, talking to his daughter, Dr. Block. Cause that that's like uh, one of those like great that, that character um, whatever it is sheriff so and so sheriff Lobo I don't can't remember what his last name is but yeah uh, I think that's like a great ongoing character in the Tarantino right. universe um, mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that really sucks but uh, I actually have one other piece that I just saw and it really caught my attention okay uh so you know that they're doing a remake to that suspiria movie right yes did you see who they just tapped to compose the score mm, oh uh my personal friend t- tom? mr tom york yeah, I tom york that. of radiohead fame is uh tapped to uh score this which i find outrageous he doesn't he doesn't do that very often so does he score anything I I've never I know, even I know, heard of him I know, scoring I, yeah, a movie. Yeah, I mean, like usually it's, it's old Johnny Greenwood. He's the uh, score yeah. king. Well, yeah, Johnny Greenwood does a lot of uh, PTA stuff, but oh, um, yeah, that, that there will be blood score is like if that is like the most horror movie score ever. Mm-hmm. I'm uh yeah exactly. So I'm sure that um, I'm sure that uh, Tom York has done stuff before. Like uh, like scoring before, but I don't think I don't know if he's been credited for it or anything like that. Like, I mean, I what I meant to say is I'm sure he's helped with scores for movies before, but I've never heard of him ever doing a score for a movie. So that's pretty hot ass news for me, man. Wow, I love I love Tom York, and uh, I uh, whenever I hear remakes, it's like whatever. But uh, this that's- has my attention now. Ooh. Who's uh, directing that again? Oh, so I just looked it up because I knew you were going to say that. His name is Luco Guadagnino. Uh, and it looks like he's just done rom-coms. What? So his uh, well, so he was a big Italian act- or director, I think. Yeah. So nothing I've really seen. Hmm. Uh, looking through it, there's nothing that stands out at all except for I think uh, he made a movie in the States last year. I saw a preview for it called A Bigger Splash. And that's got Tilda Sweeten and Ray Fiennes, and uh, that's just like a romantic, or not? It's not rom coms, like uh, romantic drama dramas. Huh. So I don't know. I guess okay. maybe he must be friends with like Argento or something. That's weird. Huh. Okay. I I, I have there, no there, idea. There, I think there's been is. a lot. There's been a, like a few people I think attached or rumored to be mm-hmm. involved with that directing it. So eh. I guess we'll but, see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll we'll see. Yeah. You got that right, baby. But um, uh, yeah, that's it. My only news is uh, more of a question. Hey, RJ, did you watch that new Blade Runner trailer? Oh uh, no, I didn't. Oh man, yeah. You're, well, you're not missing out because. Oh, is it a dud? Oh fuck! I people like I don't know. So I've I've been I've talked about my uh, problems with old Denny, old Denny Villeneuve. 
Yeah. Um, basically, all the things I was like leery about in that first teaser, uh, it's all more or less confirmed. This movie looks like it's uh-huh. slavishly uh, relaying, relying on the movie that came before. Apparently, yeah. society hasn't changed at all in like you know thirty years between the first movie and this movie. Like everything looks the same because it's got to look that way because yep. otherwise fans will be mad. Because we we need to give a fuck what fans have to say about when you're making movies. Uh, so oh, yeah. it looks like the same. It's like lots of like the cinematography and all that looks great for what people would say looks like good cinematography, but it looks empty. Yep. The movie just looks so empty. Fucking Jared Leto, he shows up and he gives <laughs> some of the worst fucking line delivery outside of like uh the legendary Harrison Ford in the uh Kingdom of the Crystal Skull line reading of mm-hmm. uh part time <laughs> he he he's doing his like best mm-hmm. to be just like Harrison Ford who's also in this movie being Harrison Ford uh which means awful and uh yeah Ryan Gosling like fuck if that guy needed any more reason to be deadpan and stoic it's just oh this movie like look it's just going to piss me off i think yeah, but we're uh, going to go see it, though. Oh, my God. Like, do you want to see this movie with me? <laughs> like, I... Oh, I, yeah, I, you're poisoned. I'm poisoned. You're toxic. I, I'm, I'm toxic, man. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I, not going to like this movie. Uh, I want... I, I wish it was awesome. Uh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like Blade Runner. But this movie, boy. Like, the font even. Like, when I see the font that they have, it looks so fake. It doesn't look, like, right at all. I, like, there's something wrong sure. with it. Like, why does it look like the original logo? I know, because it looks like the old one. It's just the same shit with the Star Wars movies. Like, right. it's just, I hate it. I hate it. Well, that's that's too bad, man. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, but, I mean, as we said, you are toxic, so yeah. I might like it. I do like Denny Villeneuve more than you do, I think. Oh, uh, I, I like more of I, I should rephrase that. I like more of his movies than you do. So I I might like it, but we'll see. I, I like Ryan Gosling; I, I, he's a cool I, I, dude. Yeah, I still need to go back and watch Incendies and uh, Polytechnique. <sighs> Some rough movies, man. Yeah. Those will get you in a fucking vibrant move mm. or mood. Oh. Uh, well, that's too bad. Yeah. No, I, I um I only watch trailers sometimes, so right. I know we've been talking about it's it a fun. lot lately. But that's because it's Stephen King stuff, so I'm all over that shit. Did you watch but the I, new? Did you watch the new It trailer? I did. I did. I did. It, it looked good. It uh, most of it was just um, the Losers Club, the kids just hanging out, okay, uh, just talking to each other, and um, so it, it was more of a clip than like. Well, actually, no, like it was like three clips more than it was like a trailer because it was just like the kids hanging out and they were just like talking to each other, ribbing on each other. I mean, I thought that was all fucking wicked good. Like, seems real, man. They're capturing that spirit Great. that uh, old Steve did of kids and such and such but uh no you you threw me off i thought your news was going to be about uh that mike mignola hellboy <laughs> oh we could talk about that too so uh yeah old uh art of mignola twitter old mike mignola mm-hmm. uh he tweeted out just to say hey here's some news uh there's a new mm-hmm. hellboy movie coming out uh and it's like essentially it's not directed by gil Merrill del toro and it doesn't star ron perlman and it's, uh holy it's the best fuck thing that could happen uh, <laughs> so this is like behind the scenes but like i don't know there there's, there seems to have come a point where i've convinced rj uh that like i think gil Merrill del toro sucks uh, mm-hmm. and this like i own all his movies 
<laughs> like so yeah so but there's something like okay if you follow all this internet news that goes about all these announcements of movies and projects that are coming out gil merrill del toro and david fincher are two guys who are attached to everything everything that ever gets made mm. they're attached but you know what so little of this stuff ever actually gets made um yeah. but you know what David Fincher gets away with it because his movies are like generally pretty good, if not yeah. amazing. He made seven. He made Zodiac. So he kind of mm-hmm. gets a pass forever. But fucking old GDT, what the fuck has he made that's earned him anything that he's got coming his way? Like Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, I've seen that. I, I have no I think design. that movie's great. I, I've seen the movie once. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I remember is like having to like go out to into the theater to find like an employee mm-hmm. to like fix the screen because the subtitles were fucked up oh well that's not the movie's fault oh no that's like this is like that's my memory of it now because like i don't really remember much of that yeah. movie i know there's like some cool visuals etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. but like, i haven't like that's not a movie i have a really strong desire to rewatch. <laughs> but like i think back to like those hellboy movies he him he made back in the day those movies were mm-hmm. never that good to be in the begin with like i don't right. know i never liked them from the get-go and i am a lifelong hellboy fan i own every i, I, I know i own them all and uh, mm-hmm. so I love that stuff, but those movies were not so great. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, he's a lot of talk. A lot of his movies fail no matter what he does. Like he's yep. attached to everything and they all fail. And I always go, oh man, it's the poor, the system's working against him. But no, man, I don't know about that. And we'll actually yep. fittingly be talking about another one of those directors where it seems like everything falls apart around them, even, even though they're the common denominator in all these situations. Hello, Terry mm. Gilliam. Um, oh, yeah. I see. So yeah, so, so old GDT, uh, he, he got fucked out of making this movie, and he they, he's been trying to make Hellboy three for like what a decade. When when, when did mm-hmm. Hellboy two come out? Oh fuck! Like at least eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah. Least. Yeah. Like two thousand and seven or eight. I think. Okay. So ten, eight, ten years ago. Okay. So yeah, he's, they've been wanting to make it, and now they're making it, and. Uh, neither of those dudes are involved and people were all like sad and depressed Mm. and I was just kind of like laughing because I'm kind of like you know I watched that Pacific Rim in theater I thought it was a really good time in theater I tried watching that movie at home and I'm like this movie sucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) something just changed immediately and I was like huh and I look through my GDTs and I'm like I don't know if he's all that good of a director and so there is something like I don't know I I I think he's a cool dude. I like that. I love that he's like into awesome stuff. Yeah. He's like into horror and art. He like buys original art from good people. Um, I I I would probably get along with him really great uh, as mm-hmm. a person. Um, and he's been successful. But man, I don't know. It's something about the fanfare around him that like right. I don't know. I don't want to watch that his his Troll Hunters TV show. Whatever it's is it called Troll uh, Hunters. I, yeah, I, I I have like zero interest about it. His like Twitter is just like him posting fan art and people like retweeting him or tweeting him saying, "Oh, I made some fan art of the show. It's changed my life." And I'm like, "No, it hasn't. No one no, gives a shit." It's about a kids this. show. Yeah. That he's, he's fuck off. So anyway, uh, I kind of like drink the bitter tears of mm-hmm. uh, Gilmore fans. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in a little bit. I don't <laughs> think Guillermo del Toro sucks. Pan's, La- Pan's Labyrinth. I fucking love. That's one of my top ten movies. I love that movie. Okay. I, but I, I will say that uh, it's been a while. I really like Chronos. I think Chronos yeah. is really cool. Yeah. But. I haven't seen that one yet, but I, I will. So I, I actually, I don't think he's that bad, but I fully agree with you. He is, is he's toxic. What you are to watching movies, he is to making movies. 
<laughs> everything he touches yes. is fucking poisoned because it's ah. all like he announces he's attached to so much stuff and, and they, it all and, dies. And, it's and the same with deep. them. And these movies it's not go even deep. Like the fuck. reason I think it is him too, though, is it's not even just movies. Remember when fucking Kojima, Hideo Kojima from oh, Metal Gear Solid, I wasn't thing, even thinking of that, and Jonji Ito, the fucking horror manga uh, extraordinaire, were gonna make a video game together. Oh. It was a horror game, and oh. everyone was like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" And then there was one more person attached as a as a producer, and it was Guillermo del Toro. And you know what happened? That game never got made. So I, <laughs> what's what's the common factor in all these things? GDT, GDT. Yeah, yeah so I think no, he is he, he's just toxic, uh, man. man. Like, like everything he touches dies. That like, oh, that at the Mountains of Madness movie he was going to make, his R-rated like super Lovecraft movie of Tom Cruise, dead. It's like, fuck There's off. There's so much like, stuff he's going to make. Like, come on. Yeah. And then like him like working on those uh, the Hobbit movies and like how far they went into yeah. that. And all those like great designs on uh, the dragon and stuff. That, oh, it's going to mm-hmm. be like unlike anything you've ever seen. And then, pfft, no, not involved. Back to Peter Jackson. And then who made like some yeah. of the worst movies of all time with those Hobbit yeah. pieces of shit. Because it just got thrown at him and he was like, oh, all right, okay, whatever. Okay, I guess I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Here, so, here's no, a minecart chase. <laughs> yeah. So this is the best news we could have. You know what? I don't know if you noticed this, but as a huge, like, fucking reaching grass, like, last-ditch effort, like, three months ago, Guillermo del Twitter was on Toro, and it's like, who wants a Hellboy 3 from me? It's like, if this gets enough, like, retweets, we'll maybe do it. And then, like, Mike Mignola replied to it. He's like, it didn't get enough. Or something like that. And it was just like, it didn't work. But um, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, he has a lot of fans that are super aggressive. Did you see what fucking Jeffrey Tambor tweeted out after that? He Like, to Mike Mignola. Mignola he's like, good to see that you're really com- uh, committed to fucking Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman. It was, it was basically like, he was like straight up attacking him. He was like, it's like, nice to see where your fucking loyalties lie, you piece of shit. Hey, now. And like, Exactly. It's like Jeffrey Tambor. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what What do you have to do with any of Oh, I guess he was in those movies. He, he was. I, I had to think okay, about I that. Okay, I forgot like, that. Yeah, he's in them. But whatever. I forgot that. But it he's, was out, like, he's out of work, too. <laughs> yeah, it was like, Jesus, man. Like, it's not up to Mike Mignola. Like, he owns the properties, but, like, not, like, the movie stuff. It's not really his oh, deal. You know, fuck. Crimson Peak sucked, man. That That's that's why I hate him now. I, I hate that movie. I, I, remember. Urgh, urgh. I remember. But you know what? Love Witch is worse. Okay. Nice. <laughs> so that, this has been the Guillermo del Toro podcast for all uh, things GDT. For those who hate. GDT. Oh, man. Like that fucking yeah. guy. Average at best. Poison. Yeah. Toxic. Average at best. Anyway. Hey, RJ. We got some criterions to talk about. Plural? Yes, we do. After Fuck. the break, uh, we're hanging out with our good, close, personal friend, Federico Fellini, once again. And first up will be Knights of Kiberia from 
Caviria, 188 a quarta. Silenzio! Azione! A Nazari, ma io ho casa mia, con l'acqua, la luce, il pibicas, non mi manca niente, proprio tutte le comodità, c'ho perfino il termometro. Questa qui, sotto l'archi, non ci ha mai dormito. Ma una volta, o due. Beh, certo che mica una casa come questa. Ma a me mi basta, mi piace. Questa è Caviria, una piccola donna sola e indifesa che vive nel male senza perdere la speranza del bene. Un angelo con le ali nel fango che non si stanca di lottare per non far spegnere la sua fede negli uomini. La storia di Caviria è fatta di avventure comiche e drammatiche ed essa le vive semplicemente perché la sua fede nell'amore non vacilla mai. Entrano! Non c'ho le chiavi! Nella borsetta! E la borsetta dove? Giulietta Masina, la singolare attrice che la stampa mondiale ha definito l'emula femminile di Charlotte, porta al personaggio di Cabiria tutta la sua originale forza di espressione e di commozione. Per questo personaggio che suscita la simpatia e la tenerezza più profonda, Giulietta Masina ha ricevuto il gran premio dell'interpretazione femminile al Festival di Cannes. De Laurentiis, il geniale e coraggioso realizzatore di Guerra e Pace, ha prodotto per voi questo nuovo film che è l'espressione più completa dell'originale mondo poetico di Federico Fellini. Le notti di Cabiria è un racconto affascinante in cui la fantasia e la realtà formano un unico mondo carico di commozione e di pietà umana. Il capolavoro di Federico Fellini. Se vuoi, io ti sposo. Ma che sta qui? A me mi sposa. Ma che sta qui? Sposa una che l'ha vista dieci volte che non sa chi sia. E che se fa così? Eh, scusa. Le avventure più sconcertanti, gli incontri più straordinari, i personaggi più insoliti appaiono nelle notti di Caviria. Personaggi cui danno vita gli attori più famosi e amati dal pubblico. Amedeo Nazzari. François Perrier, Franca Marti, Dorian Gray, Aldo Silvani. Madonna, Madonna mia, fammi cambiare vita. Un'interpretazione stupenda di Giulietta Masina, l'indimenticabile gelsomina del film La Strada, il film italiano che per la prima volta ha ricevuto il massimo premio cinematografico mondiale, l'Oscar 1957. Però è vero che c'è stata una giustizia a questo mondo. Uno soffre, ne basta di tutti i colori. Ma poi viene il momento di essere felice per tutti. Mi sposo, sai, sì! Ci sposiamo, ma chi sto di sposarmi? Ci compriamo un negozio a grossa ferata. Me va bene. Me va bene. We're back. And tonight, we're talking about Knights of Cabiria from 1957, directed by Federico Fellini. 
So uh, this movie, it follows uh, a woman named Kabiria, who uh, we're told lives the life, which is the polite way of saying she's a prostitute. Uh, Mm -hmm. She is played by Giulietta Messina, who is the wife of uh, Federico Fellini. And uh, yeah, basically we just follow her over the course of uh, several nights, uh, a few weeks, it turns uh, as the movie plays out, of her just like being uh, a prostitute and being Mm -hmm. quite a unconventional prostitute, I suppose, uh, compared to Mm -hmm. like usually how these movies go. Um, Like, in fact, the movie kind of doesn't really really embrace like this like the usual tropes of it it kind of like goes against that story uh Mm -hmm. it seems like it's like a pretty upbeat kind of lifestyle so we see her kind of like fighting with uh other prostitutes on the corner that the that they're all kind of working uh her venturing into unclaimed territory or like kind of like the higher end territory uh winding up hanging out with the famous actor uh, sleeping in his bathroom and hanging out with her, his dog overnight. Um, her going to see uh, hypnotists, magicians, um, and meeting a, a man uh, and basically getting screwed over by men. Uh, RJ, I'm going to throw to you. What did you think of Knights of Kiberia? You're throwing it to me already? I'm, I'm going to throw it to you right now. What, what? From our man, Federico the Fart Fellini. That's right. Okay, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very honest here about this movie, and I can't help but it's gonna bleed into spoiler. Spoiler, it's gonna ble- my opinion is gonna bleed into the next movie. When I watched this movie, I was in a very bad mood. <laughs> the crushing existence of life was getting to me. I didn't know where my future was gonna lie. All things were at an end, so I was in a very bad mood. And I, my viewing was totally compromised. And I wish I could say that I would have watched it again uh, for real, but I didn't. So my first impression of this movie, I was trying to pick apart every fucking thing I could to rag on this movie. <laughs> and I don't I, like I know that's that's not that's not very honest. I mean, I, I don't mean to do that. But it's what happened because you know what? I don't really buy this Fellini guy. Hmm. I think he made a couple good movies, but uh, I don't think he's the, the superstar everyone else thinks. Hmm. And so I this is a lot of precursor context to it. But Knights of Kabiria, I thought, was fine. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't necessarily think it's a good movie. I think it's kind of there. Uh, it has some nice moments, but uh, by and large, I found myself asking more often than not, I don't know why I should care. Hmm. And it's not – so this movie is made up of a lot of scenes where you have your main character kind of force gumping it through like different like scenarios. And you're, you're, get, you're introduced to a wide ensemble of different characters and – uh, different like ideas and people say a lot of stuff, which is pretty cool. Like that's what I think your buddy Richard Linklater kind of made popular again a couple of years ago. He, I think he does a similar thing where it's just characters kind of stepping onto other characters' lives and doing that. I think my main problem, and I think I'm in a minority here because I, I gleamed some other reviews, is that I think the main character is super annoying. 
Uh, all I saw other people say was it's the hooker with the heart of gold, one of the most endearing characters ever. But I thought she was just really fucking annoying because she was really like whiny and like um, she so like say so she goes with that movie star and then she shouts out to the other hookers. It's like, hey, check out who I'm with. And it's like, yeah, I know. I get it. She had a really rough time. Like at the start of the movie, she gets fucking pushed into a river and you're like, shit, this lady's had a rough go. But uh, that sort of, ex- I don't know, exuberant personality is not my super cup of tea in movies. I find it to be a, I don't know, it's a little too much. What am I trying to say about this movie? I don't know. There, there's individual parts that I liked a lot. As a whole, I just, I don't know. There, it never really grabbed my attention other than a few moments. Like I thought the ending was nice or like I thought that really like grabs you and kind of gets you to feel something. But um, not that it's not earned. It's just, I don't know. It never really hooked me into it. And I'll say straight to be very straightforward. I think it was my personal mood at the time that I watched it. I wasn't into it. So I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. I think it's like a decent enough movie at the time I watched it, I wasn't into it. So hmm. that's not that's not the way to review a movie, I suppose. But that's just how it is, you know. Well, RJ, um, yeah, I think that Knights of Kabiri is prob- it's probably one of my favorite movies that we've watched from the Criterion Collection. Really? Yes. Can you explain to me why? Why? So, mm-hmm. okay. I don't know if you noticed, RJ, in the opening credits, but our, our good close personal friend, uh, Pierre Pasolini, wrote this film. Oh, no. <laughs> so you watched, no the, the, you watched the prequel to Salo. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, so his involvement, so the reason why uh, Fellini brought him in to like kind of flesh out the dialogue and whatnot is because Pasolini yeah. knew the underground. He was in the scene. He knew how like mm-hmm. dirt bags and prostitutes and pimps and whatnot yeah. talked. And so he could help naturalize like that, that world. Mm-hmm. I guess that was like why uh, Fellini uh, was interested in having him involved um but mm-hmm. so this movie reminded reminds me a lot of uh old uh hilbert hernandez's palomar comics from love and rockets uh oh, okay. i'm not sure if you've read any of those books the first one for the very first palomar uh okay oh no i read love and rockets like that's like, so there's like the first the first trade uh, whatever that would be whatever anyway. yeah so like sort of like so he has this like you this world like it's like um it's a mexican city of Palomar Mm -hmm. and it's like lots of flat desolate spaces and there's these little houses and there's just like characters that kind of like it seemed like they emerge from out of the houses and they're shouting and they're screaming at one another and it's like kind of like like this like ongoing like soap opera of people's loves and hates extreme highs extreme lows uh people Mm -hmm. attempting like threatening murder people like trying to kill one another people jumping in and out your life um it has like all that feel to it i'm pretty sure that uh uh, hilbert hernandez is probably a really big fan of fellini and uh of this movie because it's like pretty well like just like the the way this movie shot it like looks exactly like a a hernandez like landscape where it's just like lots of emptiness and that's like what like post-war italy looked like it's like during that reconstruction and i talked about this before um like watching um god what was it been uh umberto d i maybe but like oh, right, right. Th- there's like these movies that just like i don't know 
<clears throat> it's such a time and place. Like I, when I see these, like when I see like post-war Italy, I know exactly what it looks like. It's just desolation. Like you have these weird, like high rises mm-hmm. popping out these apartments, like in the middle of nothing. It's like, why the hell are they building this? And it's like, Oh, because this was a city and this is like, there's no money. And like the, the economies of these like groups are like, they're completely wiped out. There's no mm-hmm. food. There's no jobs. It's super depressing. Um, you have, uh, people who live in caves <laughs> who have food yeah. delivered to them. Um, so yeah, um, believe uh people want to get my feelings on Fellini they could go back and listen to the armor court episode I yeah. I love Fellini mo- like I generally I really do love Fellini movies and this movie is no exception uh, I think this Liar. is <laughs> why would I lie what do I gain for, for saying yeah I'm a big fan of Fellini <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Fellini fan yeah it's just like one of those things that like carries a lot of cultural cachet nowadays I think the only yeah. people who know like Fellini are probably uh people who listen to Criterion uh, Collection podcasts. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I love his characters. I love how he, they're like, they're like, I mean, he's a cartoonist at heart that just like started Mm -hmm. making movies. His characters are larger than life. They don't like quite resemble anything. They they, they resemble people you would know, but they're taken to like these like ridiculous levels. Um, And so, but like, I think like the Kabiria character, like the thing you're describing about her, like her like bragging and screaming out, that's like totally her character. Like, I I, know, I I know that that, like the, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if I would call her a hooker with a heart of gold. Like she seems like she's like this weird kind of like fun loving, nasty woman that's trying to make it, make it in this like horrible Mm -hmm. world. So like I was reading about this, in context of like Fellini's career. So he started off like working on these, like the, the Italian neorealist movies, which are all very mm-hmm. grim and like movies about just like day to day life. And like very much like as the, uh, label would imply realism and about real mm-hmm. life. So this movie is like set during that era, like of like of Italian neorealism, but then he's starting to have his characters are emerging from that and like kind of placed on top of this. And so like then you start kind of getting like the Fellini esque style that's emerging from that in like 1957. Cause this mm-hmm. is like before he's like started to become like his eight and a half, uh, little Vita type of director or, or like Armacord, which when he starts getting into color. Um, right. so like, I don't know, I really, actually, I like that contrast of like, sort of like the grimness of the subject matter, which is like, it's about prostitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, one fun note is I was like realizing watching this, I'm like, there's a lot of movies about prostitution in the Criterion collection. And a lot of those movies are actually also really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vivre uh, Savi, the, um, Godard movie, that movie's like fucking awesome. I think this movie's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a list I've made. Uh, it's just like, wow, it's like, it pops up time and time again. And it's always like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's always like male directors making movies about poor women, uh, again, having sex for a living. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Nino Rota doing the score. Uh, he's like the greatest of all time. I fucking love his scores. His movies like so encapsulate uh, Fellini movies, which is a bummer in our next movie mm-hmm. because he was dead in that one so we don't we don't get to hear him uh before we started recording tonight i was listening to nino rota music listening to that eight and a half theme listening to the theme from our armor chord and being like oh god this is so good um but yes um i was reading uh roger ebert's great movies uh review for this movie he kind of mentions that uh julieta messina like he doesn't know this for sure but he feels like she was like her performance is very much in line with charlie chaplin which actually okay. like, cause like, instead of like the mustache, she has those like really weird little like uh, eyebrows, which like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a cliche of like, 
of like the painted lady, the painted whore. Like she's just wearing like bad crappy mm-hmm. makeup because she can't, she doesn't know how to do it properly, but it has to like look extreme to like, su- like it suggests sexuality. So she kind of plays that. And I mean, the weirdest thing with her character is like, she's wearing socks <laughs> with her shoes. Um, and it's like this weird little detail. Cause it's like super, like that isn't like something that people would go, that's sexy. Like it's not, it's like, yeah. like, like people go like people make, it's like dad socks. And there she is walking around wearing socks with her shoes. And it's like, it's kind of funny in this way. Cause it's like, well, it's not really, it's practical. Like it probably yep. is like far better for her feet to be wearing like socks with those shoes. Like when you're like mm-hmm. on your feet all the time, waiting around for guys to come around to pay you money to have sex with them. Um, it's like, I want to wear socks. It's comfy. And it's like so funny. Cause it's like the sort of like, un- like it's not self-aware. And it's just like this kind of moment where it's like, it shifts her from being like the hard bitten old heart of gold prostitute to sort of this like kind of like comedic character. That's just kind of like bound through this like dark world of where like the movie opens up with her like being uh like an attempted murder of her mm-hmm. where like she, but it's like it's so sad because it's like this scene where it's like this because you you watch the movie it just it's a cold start it's this yeah. guy and this girl and they're running through hills and they're laughing and they're having fun and like it's like oh they're in love what a great story and then like they get to the edge of this like uh riverbank and they're just standing around and the guy's like looking around fishy and then he just like grabs her purse and shoves her in the water and takes off and that's the mm-hmm. last time we see him. And so she's like, there's a whole extended scene of her like floating down the river and like all these people are like lounging by the riverside, I guess, as you do in Italy. Um, there's one kid that looks like Jack from Lord of the Flies. Uh, yeah. And they're like, oh shit, there's a lady drowning. So they, they pull her out. Um, you, you see them like uh, manage to somehow save her from drowning, even though they don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she's super ungrateful and hateful. And like, what the hell are you doing? Where's my, where's my man? Like, what is all this? And she like storms off. Everyone's like, what a bitch. <laughs> like, what's her problem? Mm-hmm. And she storms off. She she breaks into her own house because uh, her keys were in the purse from uh, Giorgio, the guy who just uh, tried killing her. Uh, and we, we never see him again. We get, like, the details kind of filled in that, like, this guy was like a mooch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, kind of an interesting thing, too. You don't see in these sides of the stories. It's like, yeah, usually it's, like, pimps taking advantage of women. This is just a story, like, this is a guy that was, like, her boyfriend. And mm-hmm. he was, like, she was paying for all his stuff, all his fancy clothes, um, while she's, like, out there actually ma- working for a living, uh, mm-hmm. doing what she does. Um, and then, like, the movie ends uh, with, like, you think that she, like, like, I don't know. I don't know. I was really drawn into this story, like, she goes to the magician, like she goes to the hypnotist show. She gets kind of like embarrassed, but like, it's kind of like this real scene of like, uh, her spilling out her guts, um, about like the sort of life that she wants, uh, like just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to all just be kind of for a comedic effect for the rest of the audience. And she feels super ashamed. There's lots of scenes of that happening with her. Um, yeah. and then, but then there's a guy in the audience who's like really like apparently moved by this story. And he starts trying to like romance her and she's super standoffish. And like at the time I was like, Oh, come on, open your heart up a little bit. Like yeah. this guy seems like the genuine deal. And like, he's like, and it's totally so it's working like he's like this guy seems good he's one over the audience but she seems to be like hesitant and then like by the time that like the i don't know by the time that he's won her over that's when the bad thing started to occur to my mind I'm like oh no no there's something's bad here like what does he want like he wants to get married and like, everything's working out too swell now the, like it's so it's like really like so well done and then she winds up once again on the on a riverbank in front of like I don't know like a giant like pool of water like a, a flooded out quarry, and uh, it, we're back to the scene and it's super tense 
really it's like beautifully photographed uh and it's just like i don't know it's like man and here we go again and she's left on her own once again and then we get the amazing ending the the super mm-hmm. like fantastic like final sequence you get a she gets a parade for herself by a bunch of complete strangers who don't know who she is um yeah i don't know i think this movie is super amazing i've never i had never seen it before mm-hmm. um i knew really nothing about it um I remember the poster or like the the DVD art for it, and it was like, oh, yeah, one day, one day. So yeah, uh, yeah, I I love this movie. I think it's top notch. Um, I think watching this in a bad mood might have ruined this for you, which sucks because I I, yeah. doubt, I I doubt you're gonna probably go out of your way to watch it anytime soon. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that you liked it so much, yeah. and I'll say that since you liked it so much, I will rewatch it one day. One day. one day but uh mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's like i said i'm i'm sorry that it played out like that i was just i was having a bad day and i was like well i gotta watch these movies so i'm just gonna watch them mm-hmm. and then, <laughs> it's just the way the cookie crumbles yeah but that's, uh that's no it's like bad. it's too bad I'm, I'm glad you really liked it though yeah no uh this i i think this movie's really good uh mm-hmm. there's like i don't know there's like the one scene that i thought was fantastic too where uh they go to the church like uh, what so it's like it's italy and it seems like mm-hmm. every time i've watched a movie set in italy like in the countryside there's a scene where everybody's walking up hills and like uh going to a church to f- beg for whatever print mm-hmm. prelediction blah 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 and uh it's in this movie it's like I, I had this thought where i'm like oh it's always this scene where these people they like they they're they're doing bad things in their lives or like they're 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 making a living in a particular way like be they like old crippled gangsters or prostitutes or just regular old people that don't think they're doing enough and they're all beg to Madonna and like ask for forgiveness and to be blessed and then like after that's all done they all go back to what they were doing before and I was just mm-hmm. like oh I'm like that's so good but then we actually had a moment where like Kabiria she says the exact thing she's like nobody's changed like she's so mad yeah. and I was like fuck like good like that's so great like I had that thought and then she thought mm-hmm. it too and I'm like that's wonderful I don't know I, I love this Fellini guy RJ <laughs> oh man Federico um, the fart Fellini yep. uh, he got you Fun facts, uh, this movie won Best Foreign Language Film in 1957. So that's Ooh. like, that's two. Uh, we could almost start keeping track of uh, the films that we've watched uh, in the Criterion Creep that have won Best Foreign Language Film as we just watched Black Orpheus last week mm-hmm. and that won in 1959. What won in 1958? I don't know. Uh, and, and this movie was produced by old Dino De Laurentiis. So back in 1957, that was someone busy boy. I saw that, but I thought it was something other than Dino. I thought it was like... Pogliano de, La, de Laurentiis well, or something. I was like, maybe it's his dad. No, that's an easy mistake to make right yeah. there. Dino and Pogliano. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. hey, RJ, do you want me to read some of uh, Federico's thoughts on this movie from his book I Fellini? This is the yeah. only like this is like the Criterion essay um, mm. that like there's mm-hmm. nothing else about it. Uh, this movie actually is like shit really deserves to like a, a Blu-ray treatment because this is an old DVD. And it's even yeah. worse for uh, and the ship sails on, which like boy, I had never seen that DVD cover before. Holy fuck! Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so Federico on his own movie here. 
The subject of loneliness and the observation of the isolated person has always interested me. Even as a child, I couldn't help but notice those who didn't fit in for one reason or another, myself included. In life and for my films, I have always been interested in the out-of-step. Curiously, it's usually those who are either too smart or those who are too stupid who are left out. The difference is, the smart ones often isolate themselves, while the less intelligent ones are usually isolated by the others. In Knights of Kiberia, I explore the pride of one of those who has been excluded. The brief appearance of the Kiberia character near the end of the movie, The White cheek revealed uh, Julieta's acting abilities as well as being an excellent dramatic actress and without pity and variety lights she revealed herself capable of being a tragic comic mime in the tradition of Chaplin Keaton and Toto in La Strada she emphatically reinforced the impression uh, Gelsomina grew out of her original brief Kiberia portrayal and at the time I sensed that Kiberia had the potential for an entire picture based on her character starring of course Julieta uh it's it's a lengthy essay. I'm gonna skip the rest. Sure, but anyway, uh, people can check that out. It's right on Criterion.com. There you go. Uh, nice plug. Yeah, you're welcome, Criterion. <laughs> yeah, you guys really need the help. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, a leg up from uh, us. So I, I don't know. That's my piece on Nice Kiberia. Awesome movie. Um, well, I'm glad you liked it. Yep. Uh, after the break, uh, there is no trailer for And the Ship Sails On from 1983 from Fellini. So uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll throw something else in there for, as a surprise, I guess. Put How's the it? Ocean's Eleven trailer in there. <laughs> the Secret Connection coming up next. Once again, opportunity awaits me like a ride in the drain. Seems it's always 
now we're talking about And the Ship Sails On from 1983, directed by Federico Fellini. Um, so, so coming off of Knights of Kiberia, for me, it was a mm-hmm. really bad setup for watching this, like, the next day. Uh, because in my mind, I was like, oh my God, this is, I didn't realize this movie was like from the eighties and I was like, oh, latter day director movies. Ooh, I was, I don't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I was, I was maybe in the same mindset as you. Uh, nice. so this movie is set in 1914 on a ship called the Gloria and, um, Orlando, an Italian journalist, he's our guide upon the ship as it makes its voyage. Uh, so it's not unlike uh, the guide character that's also an Amarcord who like breaks the fourth wall, mm-hmm. talks, talks directly to the audience. Um, the gist of the movie is it's a funeral voyage on a cruise ship to disperse the ashes of opera singer Edmia Tetua near the island of Eremo, her birthplace. Uh, the ship is packed full of opera singers, voice teachers, Orchestra directors, theater producers, actors, prime ministers, counts, princesses, grand dukes, and fans of the deceased diva. Um, essentially, the movie is just like a bunch of scenes of mm-hmm. I don't know of rich people on a boat, uh, and like their kind of interactions with like the lower classes, um, and it's kind of all mm, kind of an allegory, I guess, for World War One, uh, which is kind of when this mm-hmm. film was set. Um, there's lots of singing. There's uh, mm-hmm. quite quite the fat man in this movie. <laughs> um, oh, Josh Gad, you mean? No, there's yeah. hip- hypnotized chickens. There's shitting rhinos. Uh, yeah. Serbian refugee assassins. <laughs> um, yeah. And some some big time fourth wall breaking. RJ. Big time. What did you think of And the Ship Sails On? Well, Jer, I'm going to lay it down like this because I always keep it real. So this movie I watched a day later. I wasn't in a bad mood anymore, but you know what happened. It took several attempts and multiple tries to watch this fucking movie. And it took so long. And because I was I had come off of a movie that I was like, "Eh." Uh, this movie was in prime form as well. And because for some reason I, I decided that I hate Fellini, whether it's warranted or not, I'll be the first to admit to admit that. I don't know if it's actually warranted, but uh, I'm just going to be the guy who hates Fellini, I guess. Whatever. Um, I started this movie and I was like, OK. All right. Sure. OK, there you go. That's my live commentary of this entire movie. Uh, I felt like this movie was just a, a big amalgamation of all his other movies, like tropes and things that he does. Yep. And I don't know, man. I don't think I've even seen that many Fellini movies, like four. I think this brings it up to four. And I was like, man, I've seen all this stuff before. Like not this exact stuff, but this, it's like. I think this, is your, this would be your fifth. Because you've seen eight and a half, fifth? right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So five. So um, I was just like, I've seen all this before. Mm-hmm. And like that was one of the things in Knights of Kiberia that like not not quite. This was just my own personal bias. Like there was uh, the characters of like unhappy actor and like the director and then like a guy with sunglasses. I feel like it's just like Fellini. <laughs> oh, yeah. Things. Yo, no, so, yeah. Like, You're not wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So like when this was on, it was like, all right. So it's just like a guy who was like making a movie and he's breaking the fourth wall. Okay. 
And then it's like these people that Fellini like likes to glamorize or not, or I don't know, maybe it's the opposite of what he's doing. And I was like, I've, I've just kind of seen all this stuff before. And a lot of the movie, it was kind of in what I thought before. I was just like, I don't really know why I should care mm. about any of these people. Like, obviously, he's making it. It's like, well, these they're like rich, pretentious, like assholes. And like, yeah. that's the point of like when the vagrants come, like there's like that contrast there. It's like, so, yeah, I guess they're like not entirely supposed to be likable. But uh, a lot of the time I was just like, I don't really know, like, what the point is. Like, is it just that it's he has these big, elaborate characters, like, say, the medium who's got like this, the spooky hair and he's like very over the top. It's like, is it just because he like wants these characters to like come through? And I guess what you said, he's like a cartoonist, maybe. Mm -hmm. So there was stuff like that. And then so I guess to bring it all together, like. I don't think this is a bad movie. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's a great movie either. Mm. Um, the only time it really clicked for me was when there was the piano music and the guy watching like the eight millimeter movies. Yes. There's like a couple scenes where the guy's watching the old movies and uh, the piano is playing a very specific song. And it was a song that was used by your buddy, Steven Soderbergh in oceans 11 when they're at the Bellagio fountains. Uh, it's, <laughs> I think it's like, I don't think it was made for this movie. I looked it up one time. Like, I think it's like some guy's actual opera piano song or something. I don't know. Okay. It's, yeah. It, it's like, yeah. So uh, I'll mention, so Nino Rota died uh, yeah. before this movie was made a couple of years earlier. So this of course was like probably quite, this was devastating to Fellini. Cause like Nino Rota yeah. was like sort of the soundtrack to Fellini's movies. And so with this particular movie, which is like also a movie about music and stuff, he uses like all like pre-existing music to like kind of like encapsulate everything because he couldn't do what he would usually do which is have these like super like upbeat rambunctious sort of mumba like odes to life which was like kind of yeah. like the Nina Rota sound uh, and so he used a lot of like classical music to kind of punch in there right yeah. so yeah exactly like uh, like I really like the piano music but that's not him I just really like that song mm. I think it's good but that was the only time in the movie that it really grabbed me was that song was playing and then there's like it shows the characters kind of moving around the ship and it looks great. And then you see like some nice character moments like there's those two dudes bathing on the side of the boat and you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> cool. That was my but uh, and then there's like there's this thing where like kind of there's a sway to the, the picture like it's mm -hmm. moving like a boat would move it's like swaying back and forth. That's cool. Um, I don't know. There were certain moments that I thought really grabbed my attention. And then there was a lot of moments where I was just like, I don't care about any of this. And so, again, maybe it's I'm being a little unfair. Maybe I should rewatch both of these movies one day long down the road. But uh, I don't know. I was just like, I don't know about this Fellini guy. <laughs> I don't know if it's me, if I'm going in with the wrong attitude. It doesn't help that I, I keep doing that. So uh, I, I was thinking back. I'm pretty sure I liked Amarcord, but in my memory, I feel like I don't. I didn't like it just because I apparently want to hate Fellini. I think, so. yeah. I mean, so I, I don't uh, think I, I, don't I, know recall, if I actually do. No, see, I, I recall that like uh, Amarcord, you were going in not wanting to like it. I think you yep. were like, I actually like this movie, but yeah. But, but now you're living, you're living the gimmick, and yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> now you can't. I don't, I now don't now you can't like that. him. It's... Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to do that. I don't know how it happened. It's just like 
if if you were like, hey, this Felina movie, it's amazing. We got to watch it. I'd be like, fuck no. I don't even like that guy. And I would just go in with that attitude. I don't know where it came from or why it happened. La Vida. That's where it happened. Because that, yeah, re- that movie is really long. It's so long. It's like mm-hmm. eight hours. But, that movie I don't so, like. Yeah. yeah, that movie so, I don't like. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes that movie. The movie sucks. So, anyways, like this ship sails on again. I think it has some nice moments. Yeah. I think it has some nice characters, but on the whole, I just can't find a reason why I should care. I don't know. Okay. But were you pro or uh, con on the ships and the ship sails on? Um, I am more. So, of the three that we've watched, it's my least favorite. Okay. Of, uh, between Armacord and uh, Knights of Kiberia. Um, so the first 10 minutes or so, I was really dreading to, uh, having to watch this because I, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to like this movie at all. And because I saw like, oh my God, this movie's over two hours long. Fuck. Like, because it's like, so it opens up with like that sepia black and white sequence uh, yep. of people loading up on the ship. And I was like, okay. So this is like a thing about cinema. This is about like, history of movies and stuff. Yep. And then they all get onto the ship and you get this like really great transition from like the sepia to the color. And it's like done really well. And then we have a bunch of like people all start singing opera on the ship and on, on the, on the, um, dock as the ship takes off. And I was like, okay, like, I don't care. I I don't care about this, but then, but, but then they get to the dining room scene. And that's when we get oh, yeah. intro- that's when we get introduced to Orlando, the our mm-hmm. protagonist, and he starts explaining everything. And I started thinking, like, oh my, this is like a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> like, I fucking knew you were gonna say yeah. that. I swear to God, yeah. I wrote that down in my book. Yeah, and so like I was just like, yeah, no, this is like totally Wes Anderson stuff. And yep. like, cause it's like the it's always it's a uh, Bob Balaban in um, Moon Moonrise Kingdom specifically. Um, that I was thinking of and it's just like these scenes where like characters are shown and like I love that the camera like when they when they're showing these people they're like kind of like turning their heads over to see the camera like they're being talked about by this like because they actually are being filmed for a documentary essentially Um, like and which is like which I thought was like really interesting I'm like oh there's like there's a film crew inside this movie um, making like a film or getting interviews and footage for film reels um, and so like, and again, like it all lays out, like, I mean, it's all the Fellini stuff that, you know, it's like all these like extremely odd looking people that you don't see in real life ever, but like yep. he, he finds these people, um, and they're all like in variousness of like, they're either like super attractive, beautiful people or like really like all over the place in between. Like they're like huge, big ears, hugely fat, massive eyes, little nose, little necks, little chins, big chins, big hair dressed ridiculously. And they're just like, you never know exactly what you're going to get. Um, cause he just says like, I don't know, he's making movies. He's like, well, they don't, movies don't have to look like real life. They can be whatever the hell you want them to be. Um, I, I want characters to look like this because why the fuck not? Like they can't exist in real life. So they're going to exist in my movies, which I think is like really neat. Um, and it's like kind of uniquely him, but I, I can see there being like, Oh my God, what's the point of this? He's done this all before, but I guess like he doesn't have any other way of doing it. That's what he, that's what he finds interesting. And I think like, 
it's this is like a common thing amongst like maybe more with like maybe European directors, but like I think a lot of directors that are, are these sort of visionaries that are guys that we can talk about by their name. Like there's like not a lot of like yeah. guys that we call F- Fellini. There's like David Lynch. There's like Woody Allen. You know what I'm saying? Like there's like these yeah. like these figures that like have these things that they go back to time and time again. And so this is a movie that like he's like at the uh, end of his career, I think he only makes like two more movies after this and then he's dead. Um, mm-hmm. but like, I'm sure that Good. they're all very similar to this. Um, uh, what, uh, a complaint here. I have my notes is why does this movie look so grainy and washed out and kind of lousy? Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if maybe he just like had like less money to make stuff by this point in his career. And so he was giving like substandard materials to make his stuff. Um, because that's a bummer. Because Amarcord didn't look, or maybe this uh, this DVD just looks like trash because it's old. It's just like early days stuff, and uh, maybe the uh, needs to get restored. But I don't know. This movie has like very few views on Letterbox compared to a lot of movies. It's like only like eight hundred or so. And like I was surprised by how few people I follow who've ever even watched this movie. Which I mean, it's it's a weird movie. I don't think it's like it's not really well talked about. It's like no, it's not. It's not talked about at all. It doesn't have much of a reputation. Um, it was submitted by Italy as its Academy Award foreign language film in 1983, and was not even accepted. He got busted well, out. He got he, that, he got Fellini. he got busted out after all the other ones he got. Uh, end of his days. Yeah. It's kind of a sad thing. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no, like after the dinner dining room scene, um, my opinion of this movie totally turned around and I was like, yeah, this is a Fellini movie. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. I was like totally okay with like everything that kind of started off from that point on. Um, right. cause you just get all these scenes, like, like weird scenes of like the opera singers go and visit the steam room, like the, of the engine room, uh, to like serenade the poor workers who just shovel coal into the, um, into the ship to keep it going. And they, they start singing. Uh, and it's just like, and it's like this weird, like egos at play. And like, they're just like, Oh, we're helping out the poor people. Um, the grand Duke yeah. is like awesome. Cause he's just like this great big fat man that like, isn't allowed to like exist in movies anymore. It seems. Yeah. Um, because they're just told to lose all their weight and everyone has to look exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. I like that. Um, going You're back, a sucker for the fat man. I love, I love a good fat man in my movies. It's uh, it bring, brightens my day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you make of the rhino scenes? <laughs> like, I don't even. I have no idea I what have, that's supposed uh, to mean. <laughs> that that stuff is like, I don't know. Like, it's just like I wanted a rhino, and like literally in the uh, the uh, essay uh, where it's just like the selection from uh, I Fellini. Um, what does he say here? What does he have to say about the rhinoceros is our distant cousin of the sick zebra I helped to wash when I was a boy and the circus came to Rimini. My theory about why the zebra was sick is that he didn't have any sex in his life. How could he feel well? There was, after all, only one zebra in that circus. The rhinoceros is lovesick. Only one rhinoceros is the same as only one zebra. That's a big leap. That the <laughs> rhinoceros and the zebra are fucking related, like cousins. Well, that's his. Like, I guess like that was his extrapolation of like, well, I don't know. I don't want a zebra on this boat. I want to have a rhinoceros. And it's just a scene with a, I, with a, with a goddamn rhinoceros. I mean, it's yes, yeah. I mean, I was just like that. And then you get a scene of this like rhinoceros being lifted up and shitting all over the deck, and the horrible mm-hmm. smell coming from it. Just like me. Just like you. And then we get the final scene uh, about rhinoceros milk. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I wouldn't recommend it. No. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll co-sign on that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what that meant, and I didn't when I watched it either. I was like, I don't know what this is supposed to be. <laughs> Other than. All right. That's a rhinoceros, or kind of like a, or a fake rhinoceros. I couldn't. Even... Yeah, it's it's fake, but yeah. I mean they tried their best. <laughs> yeah, they tried their best making a rhino. That's good though. They, That's they... Wes Andersony. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, so we get kind of into the political layer of this film, um, which I think is like best done in the scene where uh, the uh, Orlando character kind of like pretends to be a fencer in the gym. And the Grand Duke, mm. it's basically it sets up the interview between the Grand Duke and Orlando. And I think that seems like really well done in the sense like it's like it's political satire of um, just this idea mm-hmm. of like language breakdown. Because like, how did we get into this international situation, World War One? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's all about language breakdown and language barriers because they can't even like decide what the proper uh, translation of edge and mouth are like yeah. and people start getting very aggressive very quickly and very heated until someone diffuses mm-hmm. things um so i thought yeah. that thought that was like a really well done scene there there was a lot of quirks like that actually and i thought that was good too that was where i thought the the wes anderson thing is like when he's talking to the captain and he's like this is uh santiago del robertio and he's like roberto del santiago and he's like yeah 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 we're going to the island of Elmirio." He's like, no, it's the island of Elmeria. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. that kind of humor? Right. And I was like, yeah, this is just Wes Anderson, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's, like, scenes where, yeah. like, Orlando, like, picks up the piece, of the piece of the map showing you exactly yeah. where they're going. It's like, yep, there's that there, too. I think mm-hmm. a lot of movies have done that before. Uh, I think I've gone to that before, yeah. I think, talking about uh, M. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Yes, I think like this. Yes. Mo- I-, I like this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's it is a little on the long side. Like once the uh, the Serbian yeah. refugees shipwreck people kind of get on there, it like there's like the long long scene of them like performing and dancing on the deck of the ship with like all the opera people kind of coming down and coming invested mm-hmm. in their lives, saying, "Oh, they're just like real people with feelings." That that whole sequence goes on quite a while. Um. I mean, it's like it sure be- it's beautifully photographed. It looks great. Um, all those things, but I just wasn't like kind of like less into it. And then the like climax kind of starts building where, oh, the international conflict that was mentioned before is now playing into this ship where, hey, hand over those Serbian uh, anarchists or we'll blow up your ship. Um, we get the, the dispersal of the ashes, though. We get that, mm-hmm. and then uh, all havoc breaks down, and then the ship starts getting blown to smithereens as the other Austro-Hungarian ship is sunk by a explosive and things and things. And then uh, I didn't realize we were watching Taste of Cherry all of a sudden. Uh-huh. Because all of a sudden, uh, the, the all the drama and sadness of this movie that it was building up toward, it's like, hey... It's just a movie, folks, and we get this mm-hmm. crazy shot where you get to see how they've made this movie because you get the gigantic, massive hydraulic compression of this like fake mm-hmm. ship, and you get this big panning shot of all the actors pretending to moving around, and you get camera crews, and you get sound guys all like kind of on the edge of this film as they're moving this gigantic hydraulic press. It's just like Flynn saying, "Hey, I really want to show people how this is made," and this is in an era before there were like special features, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> 
so you, I, I, instead of like saving it to the end of the VHS tape in like bad VHS, mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot this with film. And hey, I'm going to do a weird doppelganger effect where the camera pulls in on me filming myself, me Fellini, and then Fellini the artist makes an appearance in his own movie behind the camera. And then classic Fellini, classic. And then then it cuts back to Orlando, who's on a boat in a swimsuit, saying, "Oh, he's okay." And but he and he made it onto the sh- uh, onto a little life raft with the rhino, and he's saying, "Yep, rhino milk's good." What bah, bah, a happy bah. ending! Dun, 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 dun. Life continues because <laughs> yeah, he wants exactly. he wants he wants to dodge he wants to dodge death. He wants to dodge uh, a depressing ending because all his movies end with like song and dances. And so like in this movie, that the dance I guess takes place in the fact that people are sliding down uh, the side of a sinking ship and there's a piano playing. There's there's a there's, that's another thing. There's a lot of like boat sinking uh, in these Criterion movies. It seems this is like number three. I think the CEO of Criterion is an infamous boat saboteur. He, he's, he's anti-naval. Yeah, yeah. He he hates the fucking navy. Yeah, he's an Air Force guy. Those the nauticals. Yeah, yeah. He's an Air Force guy. He hates those fuckers. Oh, yeah, I get that. Mm. They're all pulling each other's mm. puds out there on the ocean. It's gross. <laughs> oh, so, so, <laughs> this this doesn't pull it fall into anything at all. But. Uh, the very beginning of the uh, Fellini comments about his own movie, uh, in and the ship sails on. I needed a larger exterior to paint, so I used the wall of the Panatella Pasta Factory. It was where my father Urbino Fellini had worked when he passed through Rome on his way back home from forced labor in Belgium after World War One. I. I just had to share that because I think it's kind of hilarious that his dad worked at a pasta factory. <sighs> I don't even understand why he even thought to bring it up. <laughs> It was while at Damn you, RJ. It was while at the Pasta Factory in 1918 that he met his mother. And I'm carried... gonna meet your mother at a Pasta Factory. How about that? <laughs> that was a little aggressive. That's intended for Fellini. Wow. What? Is, so wait, wait, wait. What happens at a Pasta Factory? Uh, you is fall like in a... love. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that is that kind of like the old spaghetti factory? Uh, I'm sure there's been some like like wait staff that have met and fell, fallen in love with a dishwasher mm-hmm. at at the old spaghetti factory. Yeah. They're like, oh, I love this gelato. Yeah, me too. And they're like, at sex noises. Nice, nice. Well, folks, uh, I think I think that's it for uh, yeah. Fellini. Um, after the break, uh, we're sailing toward, uh, brighter shores, hopefully, but very dystopic shores. Oh, I did. Come on. Cause, cause I had read so many notes, RJ. I forgot to scroll all the way down because there's one segment that is can't miss. And that's who hates these movies. There you go. Um, Peaceful Anarchy. This is mm-hmm. first about uh, Night of Kiberia, Knights of Kiberia. Uh Peaceful Anarchy gave this two stars. There's like not a lot of one star reviews or half star reviews. That's um, good. It, it all starts at two. The Knights yeah. of a Whiny Whore is a movie that just oh, doesn't shit. work. RJ, I didn't know you had a pseudonym here. The dramatic uh, parts have no substance because Kiberia is unlikable and the comedic parts are more lighthearted than actually funny. The second half struggles to recover the film with some interesting scenes and Fellini has a shot at salvaging the movie with the ending, but he muddles that up as well. Fuck. Whiny, hey, I'm with you, buddy. Wh- whiny horror. Well, I, I didn't use such violent 
ter- f- such violent language, but uh, but it's like yeah, seriously, this guy thinks he muddles up the ending. It's like fuck yourself. Mm, that's not what I would. I wouldn't say that. No, and the ending, he lands that ending, man. Uh, Daniel Henderson, he gave this two stars. Apparently, he was like labeling this in terms of the IMDb top two hundred and fifty. Oh. Jeez, what a depressing film! Don't watch this if you're having a bad day, RJ. <laughs> oh my God, he called it. Actually, maybe you should, so you can see somebody who probably has it worse than you. <laughs> mm, I can see that with some movies. Like, if you're really having a bad day, precursor when we were talking about Incendies or Asandi with Denny Villeneuve. If you're really having a bad day, you watch that fucking thing and it'd be like, oh. I guess my life isn't that bad. But uh, no, I watched this and I was like, no, I think I still have it worse than this hooker. That being said, I didn't enjoy it. There were lengthy scenes that were a tad boring with very little fun or joy in this at all. And I know there are some even more depressing films that I adore. This one just didn't do it for me. Um, There's not a lot of like super like great negative reviews for uh, a ship sails on. There's only one here though. Two stars from Arlo Wiley. I revisited Jean-Luc Godard for the first time in years with Alphaville and found that that man's film, that man's work still didn't resonate with me. Now I'm returning to Federico Fellini, who, if you ask me, made Knights of Cabiria, La Strada, and a bunch of other stuff we should stop talking about. And the ship sails on doesn't particularly change my mind. The opening sequence, shot like a silent film, is lovely. Fellini's narrator breaks the fourth wall in some fun ways, and there's some spot-on social satire as the ridiculous bourgeoisie are confronted with the oncoming reality of World War One. Alas, none of this really coheres into anything greater. The film is a long parade of distractions, few of which merit the attention and maybe it's just that the criterion dvd transfer is 15 years old and doesn't look great on an hd tv but even the photography is drab some filmmakers just don't do much for me unfortunately fellini is one of them man this guy it sounds like all these negative reviews just uh copied what i was saying (laughs) they heard this episode in uh i don't know in that future world Mm -hmm. and they came back and they were writing some of that stuff indeed indeed they must have been in bad moods, too. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Hey, it happens, man. Everybody has a bad day. <laughs> Even me, the guy who just loves farts and butts. Yeah. It happens to everyone. Mm-hmm. You just needed more scenes of, like, teenage boys jerking off in an old automobile. I prefer, uh, like, a bucket. After the break, uh, we'll be sailing toward hopefully brighter... Uh, Shores, I don't know. Amrecord, I get it. Yeah. Nice, nice joke.
So RJ, uh, you do know that we've got like several more Flaney movies to watch someday. I'm going to fucking hate those for no reason either. Or two. I just hate him, I guess. I don't know why. It's not that he's bad. I just, uh, it's kind of like me with you. It's not that you're a bad guy. I just, for some reason, I hate you. Well, you can email us, folks. Uh, tell us about how you hate Fellini and me at criteriancreeps at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on that letterbox. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Uh, we're on that SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, however the hell you get your podcasts. You can rate and subscribe and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Next week, RJ, spine number 51 and a doozy. Mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam's Brazil from 1985. Not only is it spine 51, Jared, but that marks our triumphant 50th episode. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Does it not? No. Oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, well, well, don't worry. You'll get to say that in like six more episodes. Oh, oh whatever. Brazil's fine, too. Uh, which, which which cut are you going to be watching? There's three. Whatever the Criterion has. All three. Oh, shit. Well, I don't know, then. I'll watch one. You watch the other one. Oh, I won't and, be doing uh, that. Actually, the best is... Uh, uh, the directors? Well, yeah, that would be the ideal one. But there's also, uh, it's totally worth watching the Sid Sheinberg version with uh, Terry Gilliam commentary. That That is a hell of a thing to hear a man so hateful and bitter. Oh, just like us. Just like us. Okay. Well, good night, folks. Hope you enjoyed all that Fellini love. Oh, all the love for the fart. Federico the Fart Fellini. R.I.P. Good night, folks. <laughs>